I'm Luke Simmons. And I am Seth Trout. And we are here to critique the hell out of culture. Well, hey, welcome back to the King Culture Podcast. It's great to have you with us. Uh, my name's Luke. I'm here with Seth today. Seth, good morning. How you doing? Good morning. My voice is recovering, so I'm doing pretty good. That's great, man. So, uh, yeah, we're glad that y'all are listening uh, to us. We try to give you an episode every couple weeks where we're thinking through different cultural dynamics uh, from the scripture, stuff we interact with and bump into. It's kind of a wild ride. We're never really sure most days what we're actually going to be talking about, but today we have a part two. So um, if you haven't listened to part one, you might want to go back and listen to that as we talk about what it is to be only human. But maybe, Seth, could you give us just a short little recap of, you talked about five different aspects of humanity based off the creation story in Genesis. Can you recap what those were? Yeah, so much of this is rooted in the phrase, I'm only human. And how when people talk about someone being human, it's almost always a negative thing. Like, oh, well, Luke Simmons, you know, well, I mean, he is human. Like, <laughs> yeah. like it's like we're about to talk about Or something. it's a way to defend yourself. Hey, man, I'm only human. Yeah, we're either defending our negative parts or we're highlighting someone else's negative parts. Like, Luke's human, let me tell you about him, you know. Or, you know, from a distance, he looks great, but he's human, you know. And, like, there's that human becomes an insult. Mm. And I think that so much of technology and the hope of it is, in many ways, like, futurists want it to be a way of delivering us from part of what makes us human. Even like when people use words like emotional, you know, like we're talking about some of the most human parts of us. Like, re, like we use the word emotional when we mean relational. Like, man, he gets hurt by people when they hurt him, like, mm. and that's to be human. Like it's, these are things, or even things that are true of Christ. We call them all. He's just human, you know. And we think about to human means that to be human means to be a sinner, and it's actually not true because Christ was human; he was not a sinner. Huh. And yeah. so I, we really want to try to. That is interesting how we tend to. You know, when we when we talk about oh, you're only human, we're we're only really thinking about the bad side, which is not actually how we we were created to be. Yeah, Christ lived into his humanity more than anybody, and he never sinned. And so, uh, I I want us as a as a community and as a people of Christ followers to see that that humanity is in its essence fundamentally good. It's a creation like we are created good, and we are fallen, we are rebellious, we are sinners, we are sinners from the womb, but we, at the same time, the essence and the core, the substance of humanity is good, and so we wanted to look back at Genesis 1 and 2 and see how it's actually awesome to be human, it's not a curse to be human, humanity is not a problem to be solved, uh, but humanity is fundamentally very good, is the way that the New Testament, the, the Old Testament talks about it, and so looked at these five big pairings that I think really highlight uh, our, our humanness. Uh, the first one is image and likeness, which has to do with our presence, our representative presence. Male and female, which has explicitly to do with uh, our sexed nature and our sexuality as humans. Fruitful and multiply, which has to do uh, with parenting and reproducing ourselves in other people. So that could be both discipleship or parenting, like mm, yeah. investing yourself in other people. It's explicitly about parenting, but in the New Testament, it's, a, it's broadened into, to include uh, just like the self-transference, what's in, what's like in my heart and mind, I'm putting into your heart and mind. We got subdue and dominion, which is explicitly about uh, culture making, work, vocation, uncovering the goodness, and then work and keep, which is about spirituality. Those those are priestly terms. That is mm. tending to the Lord's presence in ourselves and in our community. And so those big five: image likeness, male, female, fruitful, multiply, subdue, dominion work and keep. We really kind of get these big buckets of uh, emotional, physical, sexual, um, parenting, discipleship, vocation, and spirituality are our big five buckets. Yeah. 
So to get those fleshed out again, go back and listen to the last episode. But you did an exercise, Seth, at the beginning of the year with our staff and then with interns um, where you really use these five pairings as a way to frame the idea of goals or resolutions. I'm guessing by this point in the year, if people are listening to this relatively soon after it's released, you know, by this point, they've already given up on their goals and are maybe ready to make some new ones. So maybe, maybe this will help with this, but I thought it was really just an interesting way to frame it to say, what if the goals you focused on were actually the goals or at least were in related categories to what it is to be most fundamentally human? Yeah. And, and I think that if people want to really maximize or leverage or live into the fullness of their humanity, we ought to be strategically thinking about these five categories probably broadly or wholly. And if you think about just like the, the different forms of pain or frustration that people experience or angst, usually it has to do with one of these five categories. Either there's uh, like emotional unprocessed trauma, um, physical pain, physical illness, uh, like sexual deviancy or sexual dissatisfaction. Uh, this like the people who I'm trying to pour into aren't receiving what I'm giving them mm. uh, or I have nobody to give myself away to like kind of, especially people who've lived selfishly towards the end of their life. That's like a huge angst causer um, work stress. My job feels meaningless or I'm not totally sure if I'm leveraging who I am and my giftings or spirituality. I feel separated from God. I, I feel stress about my lack of feeling his presence or stress. And so most of our, our human angst is rooted in issues i would say almost all of it i have a hard time thinking about ways that it's not connected to these five issues likewise when we are operating in some form of like self-regard or have self-esteem as much i don't like that term but when we're feeling like i'm actually kind of doing the right thing and i feel good about how i'm using my time and energy it's usually because these five things are happening or at least most of them are happening Mm, and we're we're feeling like i'm getting traction or momentum in these directions and so i wanted to think through like goals resolution they're goal people they're resolution people well even if someone's not really into goals or resolutions this would be a little bit of just the so what like okay so i was created with these five categories in mind so what what difference does that make so what do i do about it yeah how does that affect the way i live so yeah. So, so are we are we going to go in, are there five or are there going to be ten? Uh, we'll be five. Okay. We'll do five. Fun. And some of them we might split off and kind of call it seven. Okay. But, so we're not doing Well, 10. that doesn't make any sense, we'll but that's five fine. Five or seven. Seven is God's number. We'll be okay with that. Yeah. It's a number of perfection. So, uh, But I also, I, I wanted to ask you, Luke, so the first time I got introduced to the idea of resolutions... So remember, John Piper talked about Jonathan Edwards' resolutions. Right. And he has this long list of stuff that he, like, put together when he was, like, zero years old. I don't know, like, he was... I think he was 19 or something. He was 19. He was a young man. And you read it, and it's this impressive list. Sure. Um, Unfortunately, none of them were resolved to not own slaves. So caveat, you know, (laughs) caveat on all that stuff. He swung and missed irreparably on a lot of things. But you read these things, and if you can understand with grace where he's coming from. Um, like one of them resolved to live with all my might while I do live. And yeah. Like, that's great. That, that's going to live as hard as I can. I'm going to do it all the way. You know, yeah. it's kind of like, uh, what's a Robin Williams movie where they suck the mirror out of life. Carpe diem. Carpe diem. Seize the day. You yeah. know, uh, resolved to be, so this is the first one resolved that 
I will do whatsoever I think to be most to God's glory and to my own good, profit and pleasure in the, my whole duration without any consideration of time, whether now, never, or myriads of ages of hence. So I'm not even sure that's all he's saying. But he's going, whatever I think is going to be for God's glory and my good, I resolve to do that thing. Whatever I think is my duty and most for the good advantage of mankind in general, I resolve to do those things. And so there's like resolutions, which are like dispositions or like internal commitments or commitments to patterns. So these aren't really outcome-oriented. Resolutions are less outcome-oriented. They're more like input-oriented. Whereas goals seem to be more output-oriented, like resolve to memorize Ephesians, Mm -hmm. resolve to start seven businesses, resolve to, like there's, so resolutions feel a little more input-oriented, goals feel a little more output-oriented. I'm curious for you, you're you're a pretty driven person, how do you think through your personal goals or resolutions or do you even operate in those categories? Yeah, man, it's such an interesting thing because I would like I would think of myself as being pretty goal oriented and yet I'm it'd be very rare for you to say, Well, what are your goals right now? And for me to go, you know, here's the list. Like, I almost never have a list. Um and so it really is more of an internal thing. There's things I'm oriented towards, driving toward. Um and I don't feel real strongly that like one's right and one's wrong. It's probably more like what helps you get moving and doing the things that God's calling you to do. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I I like all of it. It's funny. I like all of it, but I don't really function exactly that way most of the time. You know, recently I was uh, had a project I was doing where I was going, okay, uh, here's what I, I want to do this every day. It had to do with some stuff I was writing. I want to, you know, write this amount every day. And that was, I guess, more of an input than an outcome. You know, I thought it would lead to certain outcomes, and some of those are happening, but the goal wasn't the outcomes. It was more the input. And I guess if you press me, that's probably what I would try to focus more on would be the input. You know, the I guess peop- some people would say, like, the lead, you know, the lead indicators are what you're putting into it. The lag indicators, here's what comes later. So I'd probably be more on the input side. Yeah. Yeah, when you think in the past when you've thought through these different categories, are there any ones that you go, like, like for example, uh, I'll, I'll share my, my own story. So, like, last year, probably around February or March, uh, we just finished the cross open in my gym, and my friends I work out with on a regular basis, Mike and Megan, were like, well, that was that's over, so now what? And I was like, I want to be able to deadlift 500 pounds. I haven't done that before. Hmm. And I expected we were just kind of, like, sharing our pipe dreams or goals or whatever. And then next thing I know is, you know, Megan sent Mike and I this Wendler spreadsheet that was like 48 pages long. That mm-hmm. was like, all right, well, here's this thing to do that if you want to actually do that. And so then we all set like goals on bench, deadlift, squat, okay, and strict press. Yeah. And my goal, which felt like uh, I was just sharing, it'd be nice if I could do this. Mm-hmm. You know? uh, all of a sudden had teeth to it. And it had measurability and process to it. Mm-hmm. But there was resolve on deadli- on Wednesdays we deadlift, on Mondays we squat, on Fridays we press. Yeah. And all of a sudden, like the goals became resolutions. Okay. And then I hit all my goals for the. Fr- I've never really set those type of physical goals. I've uh-huh. only thought in terms of like resolve to get really sweaty, <laughs> and yeah, teeter on the verge of hurting myself in the gym four days a week. <laughs> yeah, that who doesn't want that? Yeah, but it's never really been like sure. so that I can. Blank. It's yeah, been yeah. like uh, invest in health, you know, inputs uh-huh. over outputs. But it was kind of interesting, like personally, going like, oh, it's the first time I've like set a goal, flushed out the goal, 
and executed on it. And what are you up to now? Well, I didn't do it again. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, what? Like, what? Did, where did you end up? Did you hit it? I did hit it. Yeah. Did you surpass oh, I it? it? I hit it exactly on the deadlift. Okay. I surpassed it by ten pounds on the squat. Okay. And surpassed it by ten pounds on the bench. Wow, that's great. And I hit it on the. My my goal was. Did you have a certain timeline? Yeah, it was. Or was it like I'm going to work on this until I get it. Yeah, I went on vacation the first week of July, and I was like, I want to be able to do this before I go on vacation. Okay. So we did a four-month, uh, which was like, I think, three cycles of the Wendler process. Okay. And it was kind of cool. Like yeah. I, And there's an aesthetic to it because it was 300, 400, 500. Oh, yeah. And so I got to do that. That was fun. Huh. Um, but then everything hurt afterwards. I'm like, I'm not going to do those goals again because like, <laughs> you know, it just kind of was painful. Sure. But it, it felt like uh, the formal goal setting produced an accountability. Yeah. Because I think a lot well, of those, congratulations on hitting it. Yeah, thank you. There's a lot of goals that we all set that nobody hits. So, yeah, yeah. It cheers. Was, it was seven months ago, so the thrill is gone. But I nonetheless, no, but still, that's pretty cool. It, nonetheless, it was it it renewed my appreciation for everyone here's wondered how much can he deadlift. <laughs> so now we know. Yeah, yeah or we know how much you could seven you know months how much ago. I could, <laughs> how much I could, and yeah. But I, people talk about like smart goals, um, right? And specific, measurable, achievable, achievable. Or actionable. Uh, realistic. What's the R? Oh, yeah. Realistic and time-bound. Time-bound, yeah. yeah. Timely. So I think I feel like achievable and realistic are the same thing. So maybe that's not what it is. Yeah, I don't know. You could Google it or you could just move on. The thing I always think about is specific and time-bound yeah. when I think about those. Yeah. Measurable, specific, yeah. time-bound. Yeah. So because I'm not usually operating those categories. That's where some of this kind of started. Sure. through this. And so... I, I, do, I have a re- renewed appreciation for this. The other thing, too, is uh, as I've been thinking through, like, the male-female piece in, in specifics, there's this reality to uh, – I'm getting ahead of myself. We'll get, we'll get there. Uh, so I wanted to have a conversation, exhortation to folks listening and to myself and to you of going, I think part of the reason that we avoid smart goals or, like, call like actionable, time-bound, uh, measured out, systems of process Mm -hmm. is on some categories that can feel dehumanizing or weird. Um, But also I think we just avoid the self accountability with Mm. these things. Like it's easier to have dreams than it is to have actions. It's easier to have like hopes Mm -hmm. that aren't tied to anything Mm -hmm. than it is to actually do the work of, clarifying what exactly you're talking about, what's the path to get there. Like, sure. Like we talk about all the time that um, another guy we shouldn't be quoting anymore, the Willow Creek guy. Oh, yeah, Bill yeah. Hybels. Yeah, Bill Hybels. And then he didn't – anyway, so he, he defines leadership in a really succinct way is leadership is defining reality, defining a preferred future reality, and architecting the path to get there. And that defining reality is called looking in the mirror, metaphorically, mm-hmm. mostly – preferred future reality is going, how do I want things to be? I feel like anybody can do that stuff if you just give them 30 seconds of quiet. Mm. But the architecting a path to get there and actually execute Mm -hmm. and implement and follow through is way harder than, I mean, dream of preferred future reality, more money, you know, like (laughs) dream of preferred future reality, great relationship with my kids, dream of preferred future reality, sustained intimacy with my wife. Dream of spirituality, like holistic connection to God in every sphere of life. Like that's not hard to do. Mm-hmm. Vision, 
kind of creates itself when you look around and see people that are imitatable or emulatable because there's a lot of great examples out there. But the architecture and the implementation and the execution, mm-hmm. that's the stuff that's sure missing. Like, And I talk to folks who are like C-suite executives and it's like CEOs are everywhere, uh, but COOs mm-hmm. who can actually execute the CEO's vision yeah, they're hard to come by and CEOs don't like them because they have to put boundaries and limits and reasonable things mm. into practice. And so the tension between the operations guy and the vision guy tends to be pretty substantial in most organizations. Yeah. When you think about goals set, do you th- typically, like I've been listening a, a good bit, Craig Groeschel's leadership podcast, he does quite a bit on habits. And um, that has struck me as being more like a, I mean, it's one thing to go, okay, I have a goal of deadlifting 500 pounds well that's built off of a habit you already created of regularly working out yeah um whereas probably a lot of the goals we need to set really are actually habits we want to start forming yeah i think what habits or patterns like uh, the aristotelian phrase we are what we do repeatedly mm-hmm. is just true uh and so i think a lot of goals can be outcome oriented and sometimes the outcomes are weekly actions or daily actions like if someone has a goal to be in the gym four days a week yeah. versus a goal to get up 20 pounds or get down 20 pounds. Uh, so yeah, Groeschel basically was like, I just years ago decided every year I'm going to start a new habit. Yeah. So I started flossing my teeth. You know what? I, every time I go to the dentist, they tell me I need to floss. I hate it. So I'm just going to floss my teeth. And then the next year he added another one. And I, you know, well, 20 years later, you've got some compounding good habits forming and everyone's going, wow, he's such a disciplined guy. And he's a psychopath because he flosses every day. <laughs> <laughs> That's, you know, Hey, pick, pick your own habit. Yeah, right. But, yeah. but I thought that was an interesting uh, thing. I've also heard him reference, uh, and I think it's James Clear's book on atomic habits, which I've read. And I think it's clear who tells the story of, um, you know, studies that have happened related to people trying to quit smoking and the difference it makes it for someone who says, well, I'm trying to quit. I'm not, I'm not going to smoke because I'm trying to quit versus someone who's, who's in the same situation who says, well, I'm not going to smoke because I'm not a smoker. Mm. And the perspective shift, like the person who says, well, I'm trying to quit is basically already embraced an identity that says I'm probably not going to quit yeah. versus the person who says I'm not a smoker. It's, it's an identity shift that has led to a behavior shift. And that's even some of, I think, what I'm, what I find a little bit implicit in this conversation is, is you're looking at these five pairs going, this is the identity in light of these identities. Now here's how we live these out. Here's, here's the shift that takes place. Yeah. So I I think I, I mostly operate in terms of weekly goals. I think it's the, took the normal, the, the most basic unit of like habit or, or swing of things that we get in scripture is like. Genesis 1, there's a week. Okay. And so I think it's easiest to think in terms of weeks. I think weeks also mean that if you fail one week, the reset cycle is shorter. Yeah. If you fail this year, you got to wait till next year to get on track. <laughs> sure. But if you yeah. think in terms of weeks, then you're going like, well, this week was a failure, but guess what? Sunday's coming, so right. back on the horse. Yep. There's there's that reality. Like I think yesterday I was I didn't feel very great. I was pretty tired. My throat hurt. Um, I wasn't really sick. I think I was like fatigued from having been sick mm-hmm. but I go to the gym four days a week and so I went to the gym and I gave it a solid 31 percent effort <laughs> you know yeah. kind of broke a sweat kept it going 
think I got dead last in the workout and everyone in the whole gym. I was like, hey, that was a win. You know, I went and got sweaty, kept the routine, kept the habit. Yep. And I took my same pre-workout, took my same post-workout thing. And and I feel like it's because the habit is go to the gym four days a week. And so the the goal is not go to the gym and kill myself every day and do right. be the best I can be every day because I feel like that's not realistic. Yeah. Nobody's being the best version of themselves every day. But sure. show up. They say the heavy thing at the gym is the front door. <laughs> and I've never heard that, but that's true. That's funny. Yeah, and I say no, the heaviest thing at the gym is getting your head off the pillow to get to the gym. <laughs> sure. So so there's that. So let's talk through these, and I'd okay. love to kind of break it out here. So the first one, image and likeness. Uh, so there's really two big categories in that. So I said there's going to be about seven. So an image and likeness I'm going to put under two big categories of emotional and physical. That if okay. image and likeness is rooted in presence, uh, I want my presence to faithfully represent the presence of God. Uh, that would be the emotional, we might have emotional goals. Yes. Based on goals. presence. And it's weird to think about emotional goals. Yeah, that is not an area you think of much. I've never met someone who like really has emotional goals. But I think about, uh, like there's there's negative vision and there's positive vision. And I think both are really powerful. Like how I don't want to be. Like I don't want to be pouty when my kids are being fussy. Yeah. So like one of the, one of the emotional goals that I, I put was, poutiness around fussy kids it's got to stop <laughs> you know and so that was like my first brainstorm on this not the kids poutiness your poutiness my poutiness <laughs> yeah yeah because i feel powerless i feel out of control because yeah. i am and i am and i don't like that i like feeling competent i like feeling like i can fix this and yep. it's just like sometimes fussy kids there's there might be tactics or things you can do but a lot of times it's just ride the storm you know and so sure and, uh, some other people might have an emotional goal, like I need to actually process that childhood trauma that I keep saying I'm going to deal with, but I haven't made time to go to therapy. Other times it'll be, I'm going to figure out why I'm so discontent when I'm going to TikTok and see people traveling the world and I have this deep sense FOMO thing. I want to pursue contentedness. Yeah. Uh, so some of these are resolutions, some of these are goals. Um, but then it, the next phase is like acting out on what to do about it. So poutiness around fussy kids. So it's talking to Taylor going like, I mean, nobody sees me pouty, being pouty faster than Taylor does, you know, and and, sure. and I can lie to myself easier than I can lie to her about my mood mm-hmm. because it doesn't work when I lie to her about my mood. And I'm fine. It's like, okay, well, now you're a pouty and a liar. So, <laughs> so, yeah. so some of those things. But trying to figure out, like, why drilling down on what that is, and sometimes you need a therapist, sometimes you need a pastor, sometimes you need a friend to talk it out. But I think setting emotional goals that if we, our best gift we give our kids is our transformed, transforming presence, or our best gift we give to the world, to the church, is transformed, transforming presence, then I want to, on purpose, be cultivating that. And, yeah. and that can look like a lot of things. Emotional um, very much has is directly connected to relational. Uh, we just had Kurt Thompson here the other week, and he said, the main question you have to ask when you're having emotional problems is what happened to you? Like, where did this come from? Where did this start? Yeah. And so there's story work. There's looking back. There's examining the present. There's accountability. That really emotional development has to happen relationally. You can't just um, go into a quiet room by yourself and shut the door. Like, there has to be a real presence of another person who's there working on that. So I think setting an emotional goal is would serve a lot of people. Mm, yeah. And so much of, like, emotional dysfunction or the problems we have here we get defensive about and call it personality. Okay. Oh, that's just my personality. I say, yeah, and change it. Like that's <laughs> like, sure. Like we we have a ton of agency 
my personality when I'm four is not like there's congruence between my old self and my new self. But man, like if the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, faithfulness, then I have the responsibility to be cultivating that in my life by the power of the spirit with other people, with God's people. And I can't be like, oh, I'm joyless. That's my personality. That's <laughs> right. Yeah, and the, that's your old self. But put off the old, put on the new, work on it. And so yeah, there's the there's that. The next one is physical goals. So so you had w- was relational a subset of emotional? No, I see re- emotional relational as interchangeable words. Okay, I I think um, so. That was one category: emotional and relational. Second category: physical. Yeah, I I like emotional as like the lead word. I'm just mostly going, this has to be a relational process. Because mostly when we're talking about our emotional function or non-function, we're talking about in relation to someone or something or some situation. Yeah, okay. Um, Not just myself. The second category under image and likeness is physical, that we're physical representatives of God. This is the one that I think everybody in in the whole world has uh, set physical goals. Sure. You know, the new year, new me. Um, deadlift 500 pounds. Yeah, a lot. Of, I have a lot. Lose of, 500 pounds. You yeah. know, whatever it is. Yeah, a lot of friends I know do dry January. No, no alcohol. You know, or, um, and so this is one of those ones, or even physically, where I go, you know, I like beer, wine, cocktails, and I go like my kind of general pattern is I want to have a a drink one day a week, or on an occasion, like I don't want a daily rite of passage called five o'clock. Know, um, yeah. open a beer. Like I feel like that's unhealthy, unsustainable. Uh, there's history of alcoholism on both sides of Taylor's family and my family, and I feel like uh, actively resisting that is important. Uh, there's like sleeping is a, a big part of this. Diet is a big part of this. Exercise is a big part of this. Um, going to the doctor is a big part of this. You know, I I haven't gone to a primary care doctor in like ten years, and now I'm having some presenting issues, and I got to actually go to the doctor and yeah and if it was up to me, I'd be like, eh, it'll be fine. But I'm trying to think about my wife and my kids and my future with them. And it's like, okay, well, sometimes better than safe than sorry is the right choice. And sure. so go get stuff addressed. Why do you, why are you yeah. allowing nagging things? Um, yeah, that'd be a good physical goal for someone is like, this year I'm going to establish a relationship with a primary care physician. Yeah, and I'm going to do what they say. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna go and submit to a doctor. Like we, we submit ourselves to experts all the time in a variety of places. We submit ourselves to Apple when we use their phones. We submit ourselves to mm-hmm. pastors when we send their teaching. Some of us need to go submit ourselves to a physician. Yep. That would be a great idea. Yep. Uh, I'm going to do the exercises the chiropractor gave me. I'm going to do the stretches that the PT told me would help my lower back. I'm going to. Yeah. Like these are all. And these are not just about self-improvement. Sometimes they're just about self-maintenance. Sometimes they're just about giving dignity and honor to the image of God in us. Uh, you could pursue these goals for totally unhealthy reasons. Like I think professional bodybuilders have a lot of goals that I think are going to actually kill them prematurely. Like <laughs> sure. you take a bunch of steroids and your aortic valves enlarge, and then you have a heart attack at 46, but you look good in that bikini when you're 27. Like it's, um, yeah. So I, I think uh, there are vain goals, uh, which aren't necessarily bad, but they're probably bad. <laughs> if, if that's ambiguous enough. Uh, but physical goals is good. Uh, the next one we get is the male-female thing. And the big category I'd call this is romantic or sexual. Yeah. Okay. So, I, so we might want emotional and relational goals. We might want physical goals. We might have romantic or sexual goals. Yeah. Yeah, and this is one of those uh, that I, I talk to so many married couples who find themselves in the roommate cycle. 
you know, where they're partners mm-hmm. and not in like in the progressive way, like this is my wife, my this is my partner, you know, <laughs> sure. not as a way of euphemistically no. saying wife or husband, but I mean like partners and like the yeah. business partners. As in like the romance is dwindling. Yeah. Like the, the clinical definition of a sexless marriage is one or less times a month. Okay. Um, but, and there's might be physical or, or biochemical reasons why someone can't do those types of things. Yeah. But I don't think anybody gets married and it's like, I can't wait till the fire burns out in nine years. Right. And we remember what it used to be and we have these patterns of things and every night it's tired and so you don't connect. And so you're out of energy. So you scroll and then you roll over and you, you, and so I, I think that having sexual goals that are made by husband and wife, especially like these need to be consensual sexual goals. To, sure. Yeah, um, yeah. And I understand why if someone's like an abusive or like a, an abandonment, like where they're emotionally abandoned and now their sexual goals, that'd be a huge problem. Mm-hmm. But I think in most well-functioning, healthy marriages, there's no reason why you can't say like, Hey, what are we, what are our hopes and dreams for our sex life this year? Yeah. What are our hopes and dreams for our romantic dating life this year? Are we, going to try to have sex three times a week, Mondays at 4 p.m., Wednesdays at 11 p.m., Saturday morning. Like what? Like being able to have goals around some of this stuff that so much of we think like the way that movies depict sexuality is that it's always spontaneity. Mm-hmm. But I think that uh, planned spontaneity sure. is, is also a real possibility. Well, and there's it's probably other non-sexual but romantic goals that someone might pursue as well. Like we're going to have you know, this many date nights a month or this often we're going to go sit on the front porch and connect for a few hours or, uh, you know, this often we're going to turn off our phone and look into each other's eyeballs or, yeah. you know, whatever it might be. Yeah, there's this group that I, I'm a part of. We meet like once a month on a Friday. I call it dad group. And we all listen to these three episodes of a podcast. We're going to discuss them on called heaven in your home. Mm-hmm. And one of them talks about growing intimacy when you have little kids. It's episode, I think 127. Another one is called date night every night which we all, yeah. have little, we all have little kids mm-hmm. and this like cultivation of intimacy, creating space to give attention to the marriage um, as yeah. central to the household. So that's what I mean when I say romantic slash sexual. What, is, what would you say in terms of those goals for a single person, right? I think about a junior, senior in high school, somebody in college, somebody who's in their twenties or thirties or even beyond who's single. What would, what kinds of romantic or sexual goals should they be setting? Yeah, I think that... Or, or might they consider, I guess? Yeah, I, first of all, I think sexual goals should be to not have it. That's a great goal to have when you're single, is to... My goal is to not have sex, is to be faithful with my body. But I think setting a... Like, saying, like, I... Like, being unapologetic about desire or non-desire for a spouse, and just owning that. I know a lot of single people who feel weird about going, like, uh, maybe, you know, if the Lord provides, right... As opposed to being like, no, I want to get married, and it's a huge bummer. I'm not like in, and I'm I'm working towards this. I want this to happen. Like I think mm-hmm. uh, the vulnerability that comes with sharing unfulfilled desires as part of that, and being explicit about it, and being okay about it, and trusting the Lord through that. So sometimes the goals are to pursue the possibility of sexual and romantic connection. I had a Hebrew professor who taught that the Song of Songs was actually written to elicit or produce. A desire that would drive people towards marriage. Hmm. And so I think there's that. I think under this category, I'd put like, especially for uh, young people who are going, I would like to get married. It's like, well, there's some practical things that probably should happen um, before or right around the time that you get married. Like you have to become 
marriable. Mar- sure. You have to become marriage material. Uh, mm-hmm. That is the capacity to have a household and to run a life and to build a life and to be responsible. And so there's some self-discipline, direction, things that need to happen. Uh, sometimes it's financially, sometimes it's vocationally. And being clear about what needs to happen before I have permission to play, quote unquote, mm. um, on this type of deal. I think. That well, I think it's interesting just in this whole category because w- whether it's single folks or married folks, it it does feel a bit like, well, we, it ought to just whatever it is, it ought, we just let it happen, right? Um, maybe we've bought in a little too much into the like magic of you know Hollywood romance or something. Yeah. Like it's not real romance if it's if it's worked for. You yeah, know, I mean, and that's just not true. Yeah, that 19th century Italian romanticism from Rousseau, that's like this belief. Uh, I'm actually reading a book by a secular psychologist right now called uh, Wanting. It's on mimetic desire, he calls it, on the contagious nature of our desires. Mm. And it's all, he calls something, he calls it the romantic lie. This oh, wow. belief that your desires are just in there and they're coming out and you're just, whereas the reality that desires are contagious, they're social, that they're, that they're learned, that yeah. most of our desires are learned. Sure. Yeah, well, I, and I just, I mean, when you're in your, when you're in your late twenties, thirties, forties, and you're just grinding through family life and that sort of thing, if you wait till the magic happens, you end up in the, you know, that clinical definition you gave, right? Like, I mean, that's oh, yeah. just how it happens. And so you do have to be really intentional and thoughtful about your time together. Yeah. Some, I know some folks in their thirties, um, who are not married and they had to set goals around, I need to work less so that I can be more diligent about pursuing a spouse or be available to be pursued as a spouse, as yeah. a possible spouse. And so I think in every season there's yeah. a reality to some of this stuff. Like I think um, I know a couple of young guys that I, I think are marriage material and things just haven't clicked in different places and they're doing everything they can to avoid the dating app thing. And so they're going from young adult group to young adult group mm. and they asked me, how do you feel about that? And I said, dude, if you got a goal... <laughs> <laughs> as long as you're explicit about the goal yeah. and and you're being known and you're being kind and considerate and you are uh, you know, being Christ-like in your interactions, you're not just coming in like some uh, Jersey Shore loser who's just looking to womanize <laughs> at some group. I mean, sure. when, I, when I was doing college ministry at Grace, which is right down the street from ASU, we'd get calls, how many single women are at your ministry? And I'd say, none for you, hang up the phone. <laughs> you know, and, wow. Um, mostly because it was like guys in their 40s who were like, I'm interested in a younger woman, and it's like you're, Gosh. Just, you're weird. So the that reality of like, hey, like have a if you have a desire and you're willing to pursue it in a Christ-like manner, like go for and it. And it's you know? not creepy. Yeah, and you're not creepy. Yeah. There are some guys I'm like, just so you know, you will be creepy when this, you do this. <laughs> Other guys I'm like, eh, I won't be creepy to do it. You because you're yeah emotionally stable and okay and warm received. So is there uh, <laughs> is there the next category? The next category is. Uh, Fruitful and multiply, which we're calling discipleship and parenting. Okay. And I think that um, this is very, again, seasonal and specific. But I think asking the question is most important. Like, what do I want for my kids this week, this month, this year? How do I want to give myself away to the next generation this week, this month, this year? How do I want that to look like? What do I want the rhythm to be? I think But my wife serves as a mentor in, middle, in the student ministries on Wednesday nights. Think about my kid, like, so that, that affects our whole household rhythm. Sure. Um, so that's, some of these goals are like, the household has to be bought in on it. I can't just have a goal irrespective of Taylor, you know, um, so she has a goal to give herself away to this batch of eighth grade girls, which means that our household has a goal of freeing her up to do that. And so that means on Wednesdays, X, Y, and Z needs to happen. 
in other times XYZ needs to happen. Uh, there's also like with our kids, you know, like for a while I made up this song about uh, going to sleep that I sang to the kids. Oh, wow. And I switched it to singing the doxology for them. Because mm. I was like, I want them to remember me singing them the doxology, not some like mm. white song about the white noise machine. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, so so yeah. I was like, ah, I, I'd prefer them to have memories yeah. about me singing this to them than singing mm. dad. Dad made up a ditty about the white noise machine and the lights yeah. turning off. Not that those are bad, but sure. I, like I, asking this question made me change that habit or yeah. that pattern on a regular basis. So I think for specifically for kids, I think it has to start there. If you have kids, if you ask the question, how do I want to disciple others? And you have kids and you don't ask the kids question first, that's a huge mm-hmm. miss on prioritization and structure. Yeah. Well, like, I mean, I, I feel like, there's a thing for, for me recently without going into the details of it, um, you know, where I've found a an environment that our family's connected to that I end up very complaining, right? Kind of like what you were talking about earlier about being pouty about, uh, you know, the little, <laughs> little kids. And it's like I've found myself being pouty about this situation, and it's a situation almost always my whole family's around, and they've noticed it. And, and I'm not the only one, but I recently just went to them and said, guys, this isn't okay. I want you to pray for me. I want your help. Um, I want you to encourage me. You know, if you feel like you need to, I'd love you to join me in this. And it was, it was, it was almost like a twofold sort of thing. It was like, one, will you as my family know that I'm dealing with this and help me with it? And then two, it was really a way of, I think, modeling the kind of faith we want to try to have. Um, and so, you know, it, but it's interesting. I didn't think about that in terms of like, okay, this is some goal I need to set. I mostly just felt convicted by the spirit that, you know, I keep griping about this thing and it's, uh, really a form of distrusting the Lord in his providence and I need to repent. And, yeah. and all these people have been experiencing my sin on it. So I'm going to repent to them and ask for their help. So, yeah, I, I mean, I love that Luke. And I think part of that is you have a resolution called be a normal Christian in front of your kids. Mm. Like I'm not going to be professional lead pastor, Luke. You can call me pastor Luke. You're not making your kids call you lead pastor Luke. You know, you're sure. Yeah. When I said, Hey guys, there's an area I want to talk to you about where I'm really having a hard time trusting God. A couple of their eyes got real big. Like, Oh, what? You know? Yeah. So your resolution to, I'm going to be a normal Christian in front of my kids and be accessible and vulnerable in that way. So that that's kind of a commitment that when the opportunities present themselves, you have to be willing to seize them yeah. and and to let yourself be loved by your children. Like that's a hard thing for a lot of dads. Like if they only envision this one directional mm. thing. I'm the dad, so I give. Yeah. But so often, like what love requires is being willing to receive love as well, and that's harder for a lot of mm-hmm. men, and spe- specifically, but also just generally wounded people. Well, on this fruitful and multiply uh, one, I I also want to speak to the single people and say. I think that one of the, I mean, to me, just discipling others and parenting is the same thing. It's it's like the same exact skill set. You're drawing from the same reservoir. Um, and so I would say if you're single, be investing in intentional discipleship relationships. Have that be part of the framework of how you think about your life. And not only is that going to be fulfilling the Great Commission, which is awesome in and of itself, but it's also going to be preparing you to disciple your kids. And, uh, I mean, there's just no, you know, it's been interesting. I've been watching on Twitter these, you know, conversations and debates about school. You know, is it public school or charter school or Christian school or homeschool? And it's like, pick whatever you want to pick. But either way, you're going to have to disciple your kids. 
you can't outsource that to anyone. And so do the things now to get ready to do that. Yeah. In the primary metaphors you get for discipleship in the New Testament are parenting metaphors. Yeah, sure. Because it feels like parenting is the concrete and Yeah, first Thessalonians two is that passage I was thinking of there. It's like Paul says, I was like a nursing mother among you. And he says, I was like a father who was exhorting you. It really is this parental image. Yeah, I'd read a bunch of parenting books in uh, seminary. Okay. In my discipleship courses. Huh. Because they're like, all most discipleship books are terrible, but these books about how to give your faith away to your kids are actually really good parent, uh, good discipleship books. Huh. And so that was a helpful framework. Yeah, we do this with the interns. None of them have kids. Yeah. And I think the seeing the connection between discipleship and parenting is, is helpful. Yeah. And you can, you're so tempted to like make either of those things really complex and abstract, but when you see them as the same thing, it's a little more grounding. Yeah. Well, for the sake of time, let's, let's, uh, we'll pick up our pace a little bit on these last, is there three? Uh, we got three. Three more. Okay. So two big categories, subdue and dominion. Okay. And I, I would break those out into two forms of goal setting, vocational and financial. Okay. And by vocational, I mean, for most people that is occupation, what I do for money, but I think it also includes... Um, like broad modes of service, like calling, like vocation means calling. Okay. I think for most people, that's basically the same thing as their occupation, what you do at work. I think more Christians need hustle at work. Like I think we can become overly pious and overly otherworldly and think that we can just mail it in at work and not do the trick. But if, if subduing in dominion, which is adding value and drawing out value in the created world to serve the common good, like Jeremiah twenty nine seven talked about seeking the welfare, and it and it goes on to say what that looks like, and it's like mostly economic categories, like build houses, grow gardens, plant stuff, you know, and this investment in in agriculture and construction, and so I think uh, a lot of the Christians that I know um, are pretty good at this, like uh, they have a good category for hustle at work, for for do the best you can, for maximize your strengths, leverage your strengths. And I want Christians to be less ashamed. I think sometimes Christians are too uh, apprehensive about goal setting in this category because it mm-hmm. feels worldly or self-serving. And that might be true. It might be worldly or self-serving. But I also want to say, but if you're going like, I want to use and leverage and maximize everything that God's given me for the sake of the common good and for my family and my, my generations to come, then be unapologetic about that. Like, yeah. so here's what I'm doing. And because I think, especially when I talk to folks and I'm a pastor, it's like, if people say, like, I'm really working hard at being extremely successful at work. Oh, and I also like, I kind of want to memorize the Bible, too. You know, there's like a, <laughs> they feel like they have yeah. to apologize for that or atone for that by doing other spiritual things. Right. And I want to say, like, no, like, do the best. Like, hmm. go hard at what yeah. you have going on. Like, I think about, like, Joseph and how Joseph in the Genesis when had a job working for Pharaoh who was leading Egypt, which sucked. You know, and yeah, sure. you talk about like how can a Christian in good conscience work at that type of company? It's like, well, Joseph was fine working for Egypt. Well, it's also either that or die. Yeah, <laughs> like Pharaoh, he, he was more of a slave than a yeah. He but he employee. Lever- but he leveraged his position. You know, sure. employment's a modern category. In there general. you go. They're either owner or a slave. So, but he leveraged his position in an organization institution for good for God's people and created a lot of benefit to the whole of the deal. Even though if like some of it was ideologically against uh, the very things of God. And so I think trying to like find the ideal corporation that's going to be like a Christian values thing, I think that's great if you can, but most people can't. And so you don't violate your conscience, you don't break God's law, but you add value wherever you can in the organization. I think that's great. 
uh, and also in the categories financial. Like uh, my my main financial goal this year was to um, be content with subpar realities. So mm-hmm. like uh, like I feel like um, with Taylor taking a lot of time off with the kid and with Olivia being born, not the kid, <laughs> my daughter, you know, <laughs> that kid, you know. Um, and then like medical expenses, you know, like our, our margin got a little thin, and now we're building back up. And it's like, man, I would love to resurface yeah. some things and change out some fixtures and it's like yeah my main goal this year is to increase margin for future um possibilities rather than kind of getting the hustle grind of like trying to make everything better mm-hmm. um you know i made some changes to like the my uh, 403b contributions for like tax benefits like i got a financial advisor and trying to submit to him and do what he says yeah which included having to pay more taxes <laughs> but it's the right thing to do so yeah there you go so th- like trying to get coaching and implement advice where yeah. I can and like on a heart level, be content. Some of the stuff. What's interesting. I mean, yeah, there's nothing wrong with having financial goals. It seems important. I mean, everything happens with money. It's one of these major areas of stress and relationships, you know, why you wouldn't consider that again as a possibility. It's like, yeah, make some financial goals. And I, and I think probably a lot of people do have those. Yeah. And I, I think they do. And I also think when you're, Talking in spiritual terms, it feels weird. Yeah. Um, but Proverbs says, look at the ants, how they work and they store up. Yeah. I think that's great. Yeah. All right. Well, take us to our last uh, our last category. Our last one is our spiritual goals uh, and or resolutions or. This was related to working and keeping the garden, which yeah, you said were those temple terms. Yeah. Work and keep have to do with cultivating space in this environment. Yeah. Uh, and these are the ones that are as hardest for me. I tend to like, if I buy into like the romantic lie or kind of everything needs to be spontaneous. I feel like that with my relationship with God sometimes. Mm. And um, like this year, I'm committed to reading the Gospels very slowly and on repeat. And really what it is is like right when I wake up. The, so my resolution is before I check my phone, before I uh, even get dressed for the day, I start reading the Gospels and I read until I sense the Spirit nailing me and I'm encouraging me, cutting me, doing something. Yeah. Right? And yeah. So I feel implicated is probably okay. way. And so that's my main focus there. I think especially with West preaching through Old Testament stuff and sexual ethics stuff and my own like job and the way that relates to what I'm writing, it's pretty like uh I'm re- doing a lot of work on the book of revelation and prophecy and poetry and the nature of interpretation and sexual yeah. ethics and I feel like my heart needs to be more stirred and just kind of affection for Jesus and reading the Gospels slowly um, and then praying through those things that are stirred in me in yeah. those moments. And I think that uh, spiritual goals we tend to like make out of shame and guilt. Like I've been, it's been too long, so I'm going to read the whole Bible this month and I'm going to pray an hour every day and then you do that for three days and you're like, yeah. you feel bad, then you feel shame about being bored. <laughs> And sure. And so I, but I do think that this is where like a smart goal, it'd be really helpful. What's uh, measurable and realistic and timely. And those can be daily or weekly or monthly. But I've also found that like spiritual goals are really helpful w- with when you have someone who has a similar or a shared goal with you. Mm. Um, but I think finding a way to like you, you will never grow spiritually on accident. Right. And it's, you know, Psalm 1 says, blessed is the person, blessed is the man who 
Box North According to Council Wicked, nor stands away sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight in the law of the Lord, and on it he meditates day and night. Like, yeah. I think we have to find a way to have God's word on our mind on a regular basis. Yep. Find a way. Yep. Whether it's listening to an app when you drive, whether it's morning time in prayer, whether it's afternoon. Like, I think uh, the blessed man, the blessed person, mm-hmm. has God's word on their mind day yep. and night. And that's just true. And so, the thing I would encourage people listening to is find a way, yeah. whatever that way is. Well, I, I was talking to a guy recently who was like, hey, wh- what's your plan for how you do this? And what's your plan for how you do that? And I said, I'll, I'll tell you my plans for stuff. But here's the thing. The best plan is the one you'll actually do. Absolutely. And it like blew his mind. Like, whoa. And I'm like, well, it just seems obvious to me. But as you think about all these categories, the best plan is the one you'll do. So um, that's where I think it's like, like, like that boy I haven't connected with God lately I uh maybe I should read the whole Bible in 30 days it's like well that's like going I haven't been to the gym in a decade I think I'll do an Ironman it's like yeah. well maybe start slower than, I haven't you know. successfully jogged one mile but I will try a marathon yeah. yeah so I just think like figure out what you'll do but I think those categories are real helpful will you, will you just go through the list again one more time all seven okay, emotional physical romantic parenting discipleship, vocational, financial, spiritual. Great. Yeah, those are good. Yeah, I think your your point, the best one's the one you'll do. That's true for diets. That's true for exercise. That's true for Bible reading. That's true for date nights. That's true for, like, find something you can do and then do it. Yeah. And there's a secret sauce. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Any last thoughts here, Seth, as we wrap up this little two-parter? No, just the encouragement, like it began with, like, define reality. Dream of preferred future reality and architect the path to get there. And architecting and executing is the hardest part, but that's what separates us from our old selves yeah. is the actual execution. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, thanks for your work on this. And uh, I think this is actually going to be an area where, you know, God willing, there's going to be opportunities for you to do more with this content. I, I feel like we've just scratched the surface of everything that's in these buckets. And so let me be the first to say I'm excited about where this will all go. Um, but, uh, in the meantime, I guess we'll be back in a few weeks with another episode. Uh, who knows what we'll talk about. If you have suggestions, let us know. Um, but yeah, thanks for listening and we'll be with you next time. Seth, see you later. Absolutely. Bye.